If you have a connection to languages, this is the podcast for you. Whether you're a language learner, a language teacher, a language researcher, or anyone who's interested in languages. I'm Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson. And I'm Dr. Caitlin Zavaleta. And we are the Language Scientists, and this is our podcast. We're both senior lecturers in psychology at De Montfort University, and we conduct research in the area of language learning. Throughout this series, we hope to translate the science behind language learning into informative and useful practical advice. So sit back and enjoy. Now, today for our guest, we have Marie. Hello. <laughs> so today's episode has a bit of a dual purpose. Marie will be discussing how our language experience can influence how we learn another language, which we're going to get to in just a minute. Uh, but we also wanted to take this opportunity to welcome you all back for series two. Uh, you all know that we alternate with interviewing our hosts. So we thought this would be a really nice opportunity to record our first episode together and take that chance to welcome everybody back for Series 2 with the Language Scientist podcast. Hooray! So we have five episodes coming out over the next few weeks, and we're excited to share these with you all. So thanks again for your support so far, and we're excited to get started. So Marie, can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to cover? Yes. Yeah, so in the series, we have uh, five episodes planned. So obviously the first one is with me and we're going to get into that in a bit. And then we have Dr. Walter Van Herven, who's going to come and tell us um, about how we keep our brains tidy or how we can manage and organize multiple languages in our brain. So I thought that would be really interesting because as we become more fluent in another language, this becomes really important. You don't want to speak the wrong language at the wrong time, <laughs> as you know, because you do uh, research and speech errors. Exactly. Although you love speech errors, but we don't always want them. Who's who's after Volta in episode three? In episode three, we have Dr. Jiayi Wang, who will be talking about pragmatics or the, kind of those rules that about when you use certain words and when when they're appropriate and all those unwritten rules that are a little bit harder to kind of pinpoint. Yeah, that's going to be really, really interesting um, with Jiayi. And then episode four and five, we are talking to uh, two professors. We got Professor Emma Marston and Neil Kenny, and they will talk about uh, the current initiatives in the UK to help boost language learning. Yeah, which is one of our focuses of our podcast. So we want to encourage folks to learn new languages and keep studying those. So it's really exciting to have them on the podcast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So we invite everybody to visit our podcast webpage at languagescientists.dmu.ac.uk to find out more about our new episodes and really anything else we'll be sharing there as well. Yes. So obviously you all know Marie, but just to kind of remind you about my fantastic co-host here, uh, in episode one, we hear a little bit more about Marie's experience, if you are perhaps interested or want a little refresh. Uh, she did her undergraduate degree in psychology at the University of Montreal in Canada and her master's and her PhD in psychology at the University of Nottingham. So let's go ahead and get started on today's topic. And this is about kind of how the languages that we know influence how we learn another language, right? That's it. Um, we kind of call this in research, in research turn or in research talk, uh, cross-linguistic orthographic similarity. Oh, just an easy phrase. Yeah, yeah no, just, <laughs> we, we can unpack that in a minute. But um, I mean, there's also cross-linguistic phonological similarity that we can talk about. But um, yeah, so in a nutshell, cross-linguistic just means across multiple languages. And then orthographic is about how the words are written, how they're spelled, the patterns of letters, the combinations of letters that form the words. 
so we can contrast that to say phonological which would be how the words sound so in my current research or the the stuff i wanted to talk about today will focus about the orthography side of things but also obviously really importantly there's all the phonological side of of language which is pretty important um yes so cross-linguistic across languages orthographic how the words are written or spelt and then similarity, of course, you know, how similar they are or different across different languages. So in a nutshell, um, this is kind of what I wanted to to talk about today. Just to unpack that a little bit, we've talked about orthography. That's the spelling and how and the patterns of, of letters. Phonology is just about the sounds. Can you give us an example of how we would have words in two different languages that are similar? Yes. So, um, <clears throat> okay. So there's, so there's millions of examples, but, uh, if I take one from a recent, a recent study that I've just done. So I was working with native English speakers in this study and, um, I wanted people to learn some Welsh words. So first of all, I had to ask some different people to rate those words as to how similar or different they were um, to native English words. Um, so uh, an example of a word in Welsh that was rated as being very dissimilar or different or unusual for native English speakers is the word. Now, I'm going to have to pronounce these. <laughs> this is odd because we're talking about orthography in a podcast. So I'm going to have to pronounce these words. But of course, we were looking at the spelling form, like the written form of the word. So and I am not a Welsh speaker. So any Welsh speaker listening, please uh, <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me for my pronunciation. So the word kumul uh, in Welsh uh, spelled C-W-M-W-L, uh, meaning cloud. Um, would have been rated as very dissimilar to an English word because it has combinations of letters that are just not possible in English. So right. you never have a W in between two consonants in English. So that word was rated as was rated as very dissimilar compared to uh, another word, for example, um, in Welsh, the word for shirt is crease. So that's spelt um, C-R-Y-S. So that's not too crazy different from English words, you know, it's, a, it could be a, an English word if you just look at it. So this is what people were, were doing. So um, I asked them to rate the words. And the way I did it is by presenting two words side to side on the screen. And they just had to say which one looked more like an English word. So it was a very simple task. But if you have a um, number of, of people doing that, so say 10 people, normally we, we would use at least 10 to, to do the rating and they rate all the words from the study. So there was 120 words that I used for that research. So once they've been uh, judged by all the participants multiple times, then you use fancy statistical modeling and uh, you end up with a lovely rank order from the most dissimilar word, which was kumul, and the, more sim the most similar word, which was crease uh, ah. yeah, in, this, in this study anyways. And then we have everything in, in between uh, in the middle. But yeah, there were so in, in Welsh in particular, compared to English, there's quite often combinations of letters that just don't happen in English. Or sometimes they're in a position in a word where that's not possible in English. So, for example, if we if we take take the the double L that quite often starts a word in Welsh, which is quite frequent in the Welsh language, but definitely not frequent in the English language. So, um, those words would be called as more dissimilar. And so, um, well, so in this research project, or one of the mo the main findings was that when I asked a separate sample of participants to learn some of the Welsh words through 
a variety of, of learning activities and then we did quite a few different tests afterwards to see which words they'd learned the best. Um, what we found was that there was a strong effect of cross linguistic orthographic similarity yes yeah? so how similar the words looked between welsh and english had a big impact on the learning of the words um, and so the words that are very similar or they are rated as being similar to english words um, they were much easier to learn compared to the words that were rated as very dissimilar and these are two different groups of people right so uh, one group of people went through and rated whether these are similar or dissimilar so we have this independent group who said, yes, this is like English, or yes, this is very much not like English. And then we have the second group of participants who came in and they tried to learn the words, right? So you're saying as they've gone through and they've tried to learn it, they've said, oh, nope. I'm just not, this, it's not going through. Yeah, no, exa exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so by, was, by their accuracy yeah. and all their learning. So two different groups, definitely. We'd al we would always have an independent group that is just rating the stimuli that you're mm -hmm. going to use in research. And then your main research would then use a different sample of participant. Yeah. This was one, obviously, one of the main findings from the research. Um, something that we were aware of before. So as you... Um, possibly imagine in your head I was looking at more than that in that research study <laughs> <laughs> which is sometimes we do those ty types of things yeah yeah but what was interesting in that research though in terms of that main effect uh, was that I had used a continuous like a continuum of similarities or dissimilarities so the words were really ranked and they were all different in terms of their the, the ratings of, of similarity um, you can compare that to like a, a methodology where you would have words you just have like two groups of words so mm -hmm. similar versus dissimilar yeah. but in my study it was on a continuum so um that's that was kind of the novelty of, of that aspect um but also one of the things i was really interested in looking at with this project was um the impact of obviously cross-linguistic orthographic similarity <laughs> uh it's a bit of a mouthful sorry um or how similar or different the words look across two languages um, but I wanted to look at that in the context of different learning situations. Um, so you may remember from episode one that I'm a big advocate of incidental learning. Um, and then for listeners that um, have not listened to the episode yet, you definitely should. Um, but uh, otherwise, if you just want a refresher, so incidental learning is a type of learning that's very natural. It's just um, it's how we pick up most of our words in our native language. So it's when you're you're not trying to learn words per se. You might be watching a film with subtitles. You might be listening to music. You might be reading for pleasure. You might be doing some uh, word games. Um, but because you're exposed to some words in another language or in your native language, depending, uh, you'll just pick these up um, without intending to. It just happens. That's why it's called incidental learning. It's like you're accidentally learning some words. It's a good accident. Um, and then in comparison, we have intentional learning. So that is when uh, you are sitting down with lists of vocabulary and you're, you know, effortfully trying to commit these words to, to memory. Um, so that's intentional learning. So in this project, I wanted to look at the effect, the impact of uh, cross-linguistic orthographic similarity on both learning situation and so um all of my of my learners went through two different learning tasks it was quite a bit of a big study <laughs> uh it took a long time with each participant but in the end when i looked at the results we saw that for both learning situation 
for both incidental and intentional learning, um, there was an impact of the way the words looked. So the words that looked more similar to your native language, people performed better on those words. They learned those words more easily, whether it was through an incidental learning situation or an intentional learning situation. But what was really interesting was that one of the problems with incidental learning, and I don't like saying this because obviously I'm all for incidental learning, but for the words that are really dissimilar, people were at floor level for incidental learning. In the, in the research world, that just means pretty much the, the accuracy was at zero. Like for, for words that were absolutely at the end of the continuum on the, the very dissimilar end, so the words like kumul that we, saw, that we talked about earlier, people didn't, did not just pick those words up. It's just not possible. Um, of course, this was the context of a short, it wasn't that short, but a shortish um, learning episode. It's not a yeah. whole class. No. no, exactly. They spent about 20 minutes doing some incident learning and versus 20 minutes of intentional learning. So it was the same amount of time. And of, of course, we also find things like overall intentional learning the accuracy was better. So, you know, when you're sitting down and trying to memorize words, it works, you know, you will do better than just picking those up in incidentally. Um, but of course the problem with intentional learning is that you can't learn a whole language intentionally. You have to also just, you know, uh, experience the language, get exposure to the language in other ways and hope that you will pick up a lot of words that way. And we do. You know, like I said, most of our native language words, we learn these incidentally. Um, so to come back to the cross-linguistic orthographic similarity problem. So for incidental learning, people did so badly with the words that are dissimilar um, that I thought that was quite problematic. Whereas for the words that are very similar, they actually did, they did well. For the even for incidental learning, intentional learning, they did even better, of course, which also pains me to say, but that was the findings. Um, but yeah, so the problem was for those words from like middle to very low ratings of similarities, they were almost impossible for, to learn in the incidental learning situation. So um, yeah, so that's a problem. And um, it highlighted some practical implications for me in terms of you know, what can teachers do about it, for example. So um, one of the things that that I want to suggest coming out of this research would be that the, you know, the little time that people have in the classroom, because that's quite precious time, you don't spend that much, you know, if we think about somebody doing French at secondary school, you know, they might get one hour a week. That is not a oh, lot of exposure. Really short. Yeah. yeah, or maybe two if they're lucky, yeah. depending on the school. And um, and so that time in the classroom is very precious, very short. So if the teachers are going to spend some time doing some intentional learning activities, then I would suggest that they focus on those words that are more dissimilar. Whereas the words that actually are quite plausible in the native language as well, because they, the letter combinations look like they could happen in their native language, they'll probably be picked up incidentally. So there's a really good chance that the learners will just learn them by doing other activities in the classroom, by being exposed to the language. So there's not much point putting those on a list of vocabulary. Of course, you can always include a couple just to right. boost the, the learner's confidence, you know, like, oh, yes, I've learned those ones really easily. <laughs> Check. Uh, yeah, I yeah, know. Um, but yeah, so overall, that is what I would suggest in terms of practical implications. So 
try if there's words that look very dissimilar they should definitely go on the list of vocabulary they might need mnemonic tricks even to try and memorize those yeah so really using your time valuably as uh, as a teacher to say okay this is the time i can focus i can get your attention on this really focus on those dissimilar items yeah, absolutely. And I also wondered, and of course, I've not done research on this, but um, here you go. Any any researchers out there that are interested? Uh, but I was wondering also in terms of instructions. So um, as you know, I was a French teacher mm -hmm. um, for a while. Um, and uh, so I trained as a teacher. But during my training, there was nothing about, you know, teaching your learners about, you know, patterns of letters in the language that no you know like we, you don't you don't do that you don't talk about orthography no, very much or phonology either but of course today we're focusing on orthography so i'll focus on that now but i just wondered if something that teachers might be able to highlight as well you know so if you have particular combinations of letters or particular letters that are used very differently across a language like the w for example with the welsh language I wonder what the impact of instructions, direct instructions on those might do. So if we could facilitate the learning of those really dissimilar words just by giving a bit of direct instructions on those. So that might be an interesting project for the future. Yeah, I think it would be. I mean, it's almost like when you're first learning to read and, and you do talk through all the letter combinations a little bit more in your in your native language, at least. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, children are taught the the sound to to spelling regularities in in their native language. So why don't we do why don't we teach those to people learning in an additional language or foreign language or yeah yeah I don't know, well, but I, interesting idea my, though yeah, yeah my experience as a teacher this is not something that we teach yeah it, it just, just kind of happens right. hopefully um, but it may be a bit of instructions on that uh, might help that's great thanks so much for sharing that with us today I mean I I, I like this episode because it is really it's applicable. So, I mean, this is something that you can, you could start today based on this information. A, a teacher could hear this and say, oh, this is something that I can, you know, institute in my classroom. I can put into the way I'm presenting the letters, the words for this week. Easily done. Why not? I uh, yeah, I hope teachers out there will think I'm going to try that. So if there are teachers out there listening and, and they and they do try this, you know, let us know. We would love to hear. I just, I, I would really like to hear. That about direct application yeah. of the research. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for telling us about your research today, Marie. Um, I think it's really cool that we get to see how this has progressed. I know you love looking at that incidental versus explicit learning. So it's really nice to see how we can apply that in different research situations and, and learn a little bit more. Now, in the next podcast, we will be talking about how to keep our brains organized, our, our languages organized and tidy with Dr. Walter Van Hoven. Now, to find out a little bit more about uh, behind the scenes information about this topic or about our podcast, please visit our webpage, languagescientist.dmu.ac.uk. This is where you can go to ask questions, leave comments, or even participate in some of our current research. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you for listening, and thank you to De Montfort University for funding this series of the podcast. I'm Dr. Caitlin Zavaleta. And I'm Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson. And you've been listening to the Language Scientist Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>